morning, everyone. Good to see all of you here. What an incredible God that we serve that is so diverse when it comes to weather and topography and all those things that you could be up in Alaska and freezing half to death, or you can be here and not so freezing, but yet have some light snow out there that just makes the season more pronounced. And of course, you go all the way south and get into some really warm weather down in Arizona and places like that, but God is a diverse God. He's an incredible God that we are allowed to uh, serve and to enjoy. So anyway, listen, I'm glad that you're here this morning, and if you're visiting with us, we're happy that you have come our way as, as well. So uh, let me just uh, begin by just reminding you about our discussion this evening. We're going to be discussing The Chosen, the eighth ep episode. It's the last episode of season one, and then next week we'll start with season two first couple anyway. And so tonight we're going to be discussing that, and Adam's going to be leading us in that discussion, and so I'd encourage you to be here. And if you haven't seen episode eight yet, you might want to just kind of do a preview of that this, uh, this afternoon when you get home and see what's going on there so you can discuss this this evening. Now, if, you have, uh, if you've been in this congregation for very long, you probably have heard me talk about my athletic days, which was probably several lifetimes ago for these guys down here. But in those days, I played football and, and played baseball, really loved those sports. There was a third sport that I really enjoyed playing. I loved to play uh, basketball, but basketball did not love me. In fact, of all the sports I played in, basketball was the one that always got me hurt. I was constantly rolling ankles, sometimes ended up in casts and handicapped for weeks on end. Uh, in one occasion, I blew out my right knee completely. I don't know if you know this or not, but your knee is a very intricate uh, thing that you have there. This happened a number of years ago, but I was playing in a basketball game, and I went up for a rebound. A guy kind of checked me beneath, and so when I came down, I came down in an awkward way and ended up uh, hurting my knee. Well, it put me out of the, the game. It was that bad, and so I kind of laid off for a couple of weeks, maybe it was three weeks, and then got into another game, and I was playing, and I uh, got the ball, and I was going to the other end of the court, and I made a cut on this guy, and when I cut, my body went one way, and my knee went the other way, dropped me like a sack of potatoes, and I mean, it hurt so bad that he had to carry me off the court that time. So I ended up having to go to a, a doctor, of course, and when I got to the doctor, he says, you've really damaged your knee. He took a bunch of water and blood off my knee with a... With a, a uh, a needle, and, and then he said, you're going to have an MRI, so they did an MRI, and they just said to me, listen, what you have here is you have a, a torn ACL or a cruciate ligament, an anterior cruciate ligament, it's completely tore in half, and, and that thing's got to be repaired. I don't know if you know this or not, but your knee has four basic uh, ligaments, and those ligaments hold your knee together so it's not flopping all over the set. Place. You have a couple of exterior lateral ligaments, and then in the middle you have a posterior ligament, and you have an anterior ligament, and that holds your knee from going side to side and front to back, and well, I had to have that thing replaced. And the doctor said to me, he says, listen, unless you have me fix this thing, you're not going to be able to walk down the street without that thing going out of joint, so you're going to need of that thing being mended. It's, it has to be repaired. And so that's what I did. I went and they had an operation. They, the uh, restructured the, the ACL. They had to do some meniscus work for the uh, cartilage that was there that was torn. And they did that work there and, and things went well for a couple of years, three or four years. Then I had to have some cleanup done with some orthoscopic type surgery and, and then another one and probably another one in my future. But anyway, it's important for you to know that, you know, when you think about ligaments, you, you, very seldom do you think about them. 
I mean, they're just there in your knee or they're there in your ankle or in your wrist or somewhere like that. But you, we don't think much about the ligaments until something happens to them, until you damage one of them or you wake up from, a, you know, from your bed and all of a sudden things are hurting for whatever reason. And then all of a sudden you, you realize that. I'm telling you that when I tore that anterior cruciate ligament, I can, I can tell you that when I tore that thing, my whole body complained about that. I mean, it affected all of that. Would it surprise you to know that within the church, the body of Christ, there are ligaments? There are ligaments within the body of Christ that really has a lot to do with the health and with the growth into the, the things about what the church really is about. And so this morning, as we uh, continue in our ongoing uh, series that will probably end within a couple of weeks here, of returning to our roots I think it's important that sometimes we have to return to our roots to see about the things that are going on in our lives and in our congregation and, and to look at you know, the health status of the congregation and how we are doing in it. So this morning, I want to share with you a lesson called Mending for the Ministry. And we're going to be looking at Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 11 through 16. And so if you'll open your Bibles to that section of Scripture, we'll be reading from that here, uh, right directly here. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastor and teachers, for the equipment of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness of deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. As you read down through that section of Scripture, there are a couple of those passages that I think stand out that are prominent that Paul is trying to say to us. Number one, he says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service uh, to the building up of the body of Christ. The other passage that I think that stands out to me in this section of Scripture is verse 16. From him, the whole body being joined together or held together by every supporting ligament, that's the NIV, grows and builds itself up for love, each part does its work. And so those two stand out to me. And the one that I think that really just launches out of me is this idea of equipping, for the equipping of the saints. And so when you look at this word equipping, exactly what is he trying to say to us? What is Paul trying to drive at us here? Because obviously Paul is talking about the health of the church. He's talking about the church being mended. He's talking about the church being repaired. He's talking about the church growing to maturity. Uh, becoming more complete. So this word equip is an interesting uh, word. Kartitzmotz is the word that is talked about here. And, and this word actually means actually to mend something. If you were to take it and just explode it, it's the idea of mending to repair, to equip, to perfect, to complete, to fix, to join together, and to restore. And that's why in some of your translations you have the idea of perfecting the saints or repairing the saints or mending the saints or equipping the, the saints. It's the idea of that which is uh, mended. So in, in church life, we need such a, a ministry of mending, not merely as an outwardly to correct things that are, are damaged, but to do some positive work in, 
in terms of developing and perfecting and completing or repairing that which is around us. So let's just talk for a moment about this idea of what we mean by mending. Over in Matthew, the fourth chapter and verse 21, there it says Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he says that he comes and he sees two other men beyond Peter and Andrew, two other men, James, which is the son of Zebedee and his brother John. And it says, and they were in the boats with Zebedee and they were mending their nets. That word there that we just talked about in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 is the, or verse 12 is the exact same word here in this past section of scripture right here. Same exact word. And so why would they be in need of mending their nets? Well, the reason why Peter and Andrew and James and John are having to mend their nets because in the course of time, those nets are dealing with weather. They are being wet, then they're being dried, they're being stretched, they're being pulled. Sometimes they catch up on things on the bottom of the sea itself and get snagged there and they have to pull them and the result of that is that they end up tearing holes in the net, they end up ripping the nets, damaging the nets and as a result of that, they have to do a lot of repairing or a lot of mending of the nets. The analogy that I think Paul is trying to get at here is that in the course of time, people end up injured and, and damaged and broken and weakened. And as a result of that, there's some mending or repairing or equipping that has to take place in order that they might be able to carry out the function that they have in a good kind of way. And so what we know from looking at that is that mending is more than just fixing a hole in a net. Paul is talking about fixing the lives of people, repairing, restoring, equipping, or mending the lives of individuals so that they might mature in their faith. And so that's the idea of the idea of mending. And then there are the menders. There are menders within the church that are to equip the church for works of service to the building up of a body of Christ. So who are these menders? Well, in Ephesians 4 and verse 11, it says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for a work of service. For the first. So the first mender is that of the apostles. So in Paul's day, when he was writing about God giving gifts to the church in terms of the apostles, those guys were all alive back then. But of course, they're all dead and gone now. But he asks the second chapter in verse 42 for those early Christians, it says that they were steadfast or devoted to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. But it says they were devoted, they were steadfast in the apostles' teaching, and so they were hanging and listening to the church. We're talking about an infant church. We're talking about the new church as it was. But today they're dead and, and, and gone but their teaching lives on, and it's lived on every time we open up our Bibles and read through the New Testament. That's their teachings that are, are there. In fact, almost every writing of the 27 books that are found in the New Testament is written by an apostle, save a couple, and that would be John Mark, who was with Paul and Barnabas in their missionary journeys. That would be Luke, who was with Paul on the missionary journeys. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and, of course, Acts. And then you have Jude and James, who were the brothers of Jesus. And so there was this direct correlation with that of the apostles. So they become inspired men or inspired writings. And so every time we open up our Bibles, we have the foundational truths that the Holy Spirit inspired the apostles to give to us. And so we have an accurate tr truth in order to look at how to live our lives. 
Secondly, he said he gave us the prophets. The prophets were men who were to uh, teach the good news of Jesus Christ and teach the workings and the foundation of what the church was to be about. I think what you need to understand when it comes down to understanding what the prophet's role is, to understand that they are mouthpieces or those who speak forth the truth or the word of God. Back in those days, in the infancy of the church through almost the entirety of the first century and some even into the second century, you don't have Bibles like we have today. They had the copy of the Old Testament, but they didn't have a New Testament. They were, they were in the process of being uh, written, beginning probably with the first one, which is around 47 AD, and then ending with the last one around 96 or 98 AD by, by John. So they didn't have Bibles like you have today, but the truth had to be taught. And so what God did is he used men such as prophets mouthpieces for God to speak forth the truth for this infant church that was going to be completely different from the children of Israel. Now it's going to be a new covenant with a new way of living where a new kind of spirit was coming into the church which would uh, change it dramatically from their past. And so you have the prophets who are teaching truth to them. Of course, that age passed on. Then you had the evangelists who were equipping the saints. They were the, these were those who would spread the word of God, God wherever they were to go. Sometimes it was abroad, sometimes it was a local kind of thing. Philip, for instance, over in Acts 8 chapter, becomes an evangelist after being a servant in the church in Acts 7. And then in Acts 8, here you have uh, Philip who is going down through Samaria and he's preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. And many are believing and are being baptized. He's asked to go to a desert road and join himself to a chariot by the, that was filled with a man uh, that was an Ethiopian uh, eunuch who had come to Jerusalem to worship. And now he's heading back home to Ethiopia. And Philip is going to teach him the gospel and about Jesus Christ. And he too will be baptized into Christ. Or there might be um, Timothy, who was the local evangelist, at the church in Ephesus, and his job was to make sure that the household of God uh, conducted itself correctly as a pillar of what, the, of what the church was about. Pastor and teachers, the word pastor comes from the Greek word poimen. It means one who shepherds or one who feeds. And so when you think about the ideal of the role of a shepherd is that they are to guard, that they are to guide, and that they are direct the people in, in truth and protect them. So that's their job as a pastor. They're also called elders, presbyteros. They're also called bishops or overseas episcopals. And so all talking about the same individual who was to equip the church. They also time doubled as teachers or teachers in the broadest sense of the world. My, my point is, is that these are those who laid the foundation and then would help continue the, the sustaining of that foundation up into our present day. And so when you look at the menders of the net, if you will, if you're talking about the menders of the church or those who were equipping the church, you first have the apostles and the prophets that would eventually give away to the evangelist pastor teachers that we have uh, today. That's the menders of the church. But that's not their only uh, job. They were to be mending saints. In fact, Ephesians uh, 4 and verse 12 says, for the equipping of the saints. So the mending of the saints the word saints re is referring to us as Christians. And if you were to look at 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, if you were to look at Romans, if you were to look at Ephesians, Philippians, uh, Colossians, if you were to look at the Thessalonians, you'll see that almost every introduction as Paul uh, speaks to the church or writes to the church, he uses that word saint, which means one who is set apart. 
And so we're set apart as those who are special in God's eyes. And so we were referred to in the scriptures as those who are the saints. And so their job is to mend the saints. So amending is uh, going on here. Think back now to the analogy of the fishermen who are mending their nets. And as they're mending the nets, they're taking that which is torn and damaged. Now take the analogy and ask ourselves, do the saints ever need mending? Do the saints ever need repaired or, or being restored? And the answer is, is absolutely. We go through life, we're like that, that net that's been cast into the sea and then snags up on things below and then they're pulling and they're stretching them and then they, they get ripped, they get torn, holes get knocked in. Well, that's the same way with us. We go through our daily life and we find ourselves getting damaged. We find ourselves sometimes getting torn and, and ripped just by the struggles of life itself. Sometimes it has to do with medical things that uh, damage us, but oftentimes it has to do with just the, the daily uh, life of, of going to work with the struggles that we sometimes go through with work or maybe even relationships or and maybe it's at school but we find ourselves going through life getting stretched and pulled and damaged and the result of that is is we need mending or we need someone to repair us or to equip us to help take care of those things that sometimes hurt our lives and that's where the good news comes we gather to have the torn places in our lives mended. So that's why when you look at passages of Scripture like Hebrews, the 10th chapter, and verses 24 and 25, where it says, let us, he's talking about the church, let us uh, consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. And then he says, do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another even more as we see the day approaching. The writer knew that in life there's going to be struggles. The writer knew in life that there are going to be moments when we are torn and, and damaged, and we're going to need to be strengthened and encouraged. We're going to need to be stimulated. And that's why it's valuable for you to be here at church. That's why it's valuable for those of you online to be in the assembly where you're not isolated away in your, the parts of your life that is damaged or torn or hurt and in need of repair. This is where this happens here when we are gathered together with one another. We come together to see God fixing and mending and restoring each part of our life uh, that has started to unravel. We can see that. We can talk about it, about how God is working in our, our lives. And so through his plan, we get back on the road. Broken down relationships get mended. The flat tires of lost hope get repaired. Confidence and assurance are restored and we get back in the, the game of life again. That happens when we are together. That's what the church is about. And that's why people tr shouldn't try to live their lives in isolation, at like an island to themselves. We're in need of those in our lives. So we are repaired and mended and built up by his spirit through uh, the word of God. Uh, we're given help and encouragement from other believers. So the truth is so important to us uh, that encourages to keep on uh, keeping on. Not only does it mean to men, it also means to mature towards completeness. Look at verse 13 of that section of Scripture there. Listen to what it says. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So there's a constant need of us maturing and growing in our faith. Hebrews, the fifth chapter, in verse, uh, verse 11 down, 
it has some interesting things to say to us. Listen to what it says. Philippians, or Hebrews chapter uh, 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Look at what he says beginning in verse 11. He says, concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For by this time you ought to be teachers. You have need, again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need meat, milk, and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of only milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of the practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. What is he saying there? He's saying that all of us should be growing in our faith. And that's what Peter says over in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, that we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to grow up. We are to be maturing, that we're not to stay as infants. There's a period of infancy, but as time goes on, you're supposed to be growing in your faith. We're supposed to be growing up in our, our faith. But the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes we lose our grounding. Or we haven't matured so that we are grounded in faith. And so we're like a ship without an anchor, without stability, without a consistency in our life. And that's what Paul is talking about here in verse 14. Then we are no longer to be immature. Like children, we, want to be, uh, we won't, uh, won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. That's what he's talking about there. He's saying that we have matured so we're not faked out by someone else, so that we know what the truth is. And so as Christians, we're not called to fit in. We're called to, uh, to stand out. There was a psychology study that was done by this psychologist in which he was going to do a survey. And he was doing an experiment with some people. And so what he did is he chose a number of teenagers that he broke down in groups of 10. So as he broke them down in groups of 10, he would bring them in. And what they're supposed to do is they, there were several charts that had lines on it. When the instructor was to point at the lines, they were to determine which were the longest lines. Okay, that was the instruction that the 10 were given. But on a side note, they had spoke to nine of the 10 teenagers. And they said to the nine, listen, when the instructor points, what is the longest line? You're not to say the longest line is the longest line. You're to choose the second longest line. There'll be a difference between the two, but you're to choose the second line. So there's a 10th teenager who doesn't know what's going on there. They think they're all going to be choosing the longest line. So they called in the groups of ten, teenagers by 10, and the instructor pointed at the longest line, or the second longest line, and at the second longest line, nine of the teenagers put their hands up. And they said the 10th teenager that they were observing, the 10th teenager would kind of look around the class or the group of teens and see that nine of them raised their hands at the second longest line. And so they said 75% of those singled out teenagers raised their hand in agreement with the other nine. Which says what? Well, what the psychologist said, what that shows is that a person would rather fit in then be right. That's what this is talking about. As Christians, we're not called to fit in. We're called to stand for that which is right in every way. And so we cannot simply be followers of every fad or every trend or every whim of our culture. And listen, there's a lot of stuff being taught today that, you know, 10 years ago, five years ago, Certainly 30 years ago, would I be talked about? We think that that was completely messed up, that there's a mental problems that are going on here when it comes down to societal type things and morality type issues that are there. 
And so there comes a time where we have to take a stand and a stand on God's truth because his word becomes the standard. His word becomes the, the, the measuring tool by which we look at what is right and what is wrong, what is good and, and what is bad. And so we need to be grounded in that truth so that we grow up in our faith. Because mature Christians are able to discern between good and evil, right and wrong, good and bad, truth and that which is false. And we have it right here to show us what the perimeters are that God has established for us to live our lives of what is right and, of course, what is wrong. I like what Booker T. Washington wrote. A lie doesn't become the truth. Wrong doesn't become right. And evil doesn't become good just because it is accepted by the majority. And there is so much wisdom in that thought there because we're not asked to be the majority. We're asked to be those who stand with God sometimes by our, ourselves. And so when you talk about mending the saints, we're talking about not only, not only equipping us and mending the fractured things and torn up things in our lives, but we're also talking about maturing in our faith so that we are built up uh, to the maturity that's found in, in Christ Jesus. Which leads us to the next thing for the mending up for the ministry. So he says, equipping the saints for the work of ministry or the work of, of service. That word ministry or service there is the Greek word diakonos, and it's where we get our English word deacon that speaks of the men in our congregation who serve as deacons. But that's in the context of church leadership. Generally, when the word diakonos is used, it's referring to the Christians in general, to all of us. So what is that saying? It's saying that all of us are uh, a part of the ministry. The ministry belongs to, to us, to each and every one of us. Look at verse 16 again. Verse 16, it says, From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every ligament or joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So what is he saying? He's saying that we're all to be busy, that every supporting ligament is to be functioning. And that's why I said to you that the church is made up of ligaments that are held together the holds that holds the church together every joint but there are things that can hurt the church if we're not careful and that we're not constantly aware of you remember several weeks back maybe it's a month back i talked to you about fellowship within the church and we talked about the word koinonia is the word for fellowship and i said that there is another thing called koinonitis and koinonitis i said to you is when the church uh, takes its fellowship and makes it exclusive from other people, that we're to be very inclusive and allow people to come to us based upon the terms of God, of course, but, but to have a healthy relationship. But koinonitis can hurt us if we become exclusive. Then a couple of weeks later, I talked to you about gogusmo. And I said, it sounds like something you might step in. And, and I said to you that the word gogusmo, it means to complain, to murmur, to grumble within the body of Christ. And, he, and, and Paul was saying that when we do that, we hurt the church or we damage the, the efficiency of what the church <clears throat> is to be about. There is a new one that I want to share with you this morning. It's called the shim virus. The shim virus is one that spreads very rapidly if not taken uh, under control and seriously considered. So what is this shim virus that can so rapidly spread? Well, super hired holy men. Got to watch out for those guys there. How do you know if a church has fallen in the trap of this virus where we, we hire these super hired holy men and expect them to do everything 
in the church where you have a clergy lady kind of, of thing going on here. Well, here's how you'll know. Number one, church members drop out of ministry and sharing their faith. Uh, they we're tempted to say, well, that's why we hired Clint. That's why we hired Jared. That's why we hired you, Richard, for you to take care of the ministry and to do the stuff, to do the soul winning, to do the teaching, to do this, the serving, to do this, to do that. Now, I'm not saying that we do that here at the congregation, okay, but I'm telling you that it's easy to fall into that, that trap. Uh, it's easy for churches to develop uh, unrealistic expectations of their ministers. Uh, there's only three of you. In often cases, there's only just one of us. And so when you're trying to deal with a city or a community of over 117,000, there's no way three guys can get the job done. That means that all of us have to be a part of the ministry. All of us have to be a part of the soul winning. All of us have to be the part of serving. All of us have to be a part of the fellowshipping. All of us have to be a part of everything that is around. The problem is that sometimes preachers or ministers, sometimes we don't delegate well. And we should be delegating everything. So we're very fortunate as a congregation that we have uh, some great elders and great deacons who are pretty good at, you know, giving work out or delegating work out to various ministries within the body of, of Christ. And, of course, the other thing is churches can resort to gimmicks to increase the attendance and its offerings. And that's a dangerous thing there where we start going beyond truth in order to just draw a crowd. You know, I know how to draw a crowd if you were to use a secular means to do that. You know, there's different kinds of entertainers you can get here. You can put on different kinds of events to promote church growth. But oftentimes they neglect what the cross is about. And Jesus says, and I, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them into myself. So the cross is a very strong way of growing the church in, in, in incredible ways. So a church uh, with shims is an unhealthy, immature church because strength and health of the church here at Linden Road depends upon each and every one of us doing our part. And that's what Ephesians is about, this section from verses four, uh, chapter 4, verses 11, down through 16. It's about the church being equipped so that we are mended up, but also so we are made ready and mature so we can go out and carry out the work that is given to us. Look at what it says. For whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. I like what Edward Hale wrote. He says, I'm only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something I can do. And so all of us have a role. Like I said, when you think about your knee or you think about your ankles, you don't think much about the ligaments that are there because you can't see them. But they're important to your health. And if one of them decides to act up, you're going to know it. Well, it's the same way in the church. It's no different. All of us are ligaments. All of us are joints. All of us have our role that we play. It may not be a huge out front role such as I play, but it is a role that is simply as important as a role that I play. So we need to be those who are busy working within the body of Christ because we're the men for growth. Look at verse, the latter part of verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of, of Christ. The word edifying or building is a Greek word that describes the building of a house or the erecting of a building. That's what it's talking about there. So I want you to just look for a moment at this person that I have that's standing below this 
house that is going up and it's all framed up and, and everything. What I can say to you is this guy will not build this house by himself. He will not build a house by himself. There are hundreds of things that go on in the building of a house. Someone has to lay the foundation. Someone's got to come in and do the electrical work. Someone's got to come in and do the, the plumbing work. There's going to be siding that is done. There is insulating that is done. There is roofing that is done. Drywall that's going to be happening, taping and texturing and, and, and painting and floors are got to be put in and lighting has to go in and the windows have to go in and I could go on and on and on with this stuff. There's a lot of moving parts when it comes to building a house. Well, some surprises, there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to building the church and doing the things that the church ought to be, be doing. And the best way to do it is by teamwork. There's an acrostic for the word team. Together, everyone achieves more. You can do a lot more uh, than just one person doing the work. When we're all together in the work, we multiply the efficiency of what the church really is to be about. And then notice he says in verse 16 that we are to be building of itself up in love. Syndicated columnist Sidney Harris, he talked about a time when he and a friend had walked down to a newspaper stand in, in New York, and he went down to the newspaper stand and his, said, his friend asked for a newspaper. He said he did it in a very friendly and, and courteous manner, to which he said the newsman took the paper in a very discourteous and rude kind of way, just shoved it into his face in, in a gruff manner. And so he said, Sidney said to his friend, he accepted the paper, smiled at him, and wished him uh, to have a good weekend. And then they walked away, and as they're walking away, Harris asked his friend, he goes, listen, he goes, does he always treat you that way? And his friend says, well, yes, unfortunately, he does. He said, well, listen, he goes, you always, you always respond to him with a, you always respond to him with a smile. He says, well, of course I always do. He said, why would you do that? Why would you treat a person who is rude and discourteous as him in that way? And his friend said, because I don't want him to decide for me how I'm going to act. When it comes to the church, you know, we're, we come from all different walks of life. And there's going to be times when we probably get on each other's nerves. There's probably be times when we rub each other the wrong way. There's going to be times when, you know, we don't act as we should or speak as we should. Okay, I know that. But we as Christians need to work really hard on how we, uh, how we approach one another and how we speak to one another. Because you don't know that if you say the wrong thing, you know, if you become rude or if you become a person that rubs that person the wrong way, you might drive them from the church. And you don't want that to be on your conscience. Uh, so you just got to be careful. And sometimes you don't even know it's happened, but it's possible for it uh, to happen. So let me encourage you to make sure that you always build each other up in love. Jesus said, listen, a new commandment I give to you that you should love one another even as I have loved you. So I ought you to love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So there is a strong thing that comes to that of loving each other. So together we can do more. Together we can grow. Together uh, we are a stronger group of people. You know, uh, I love to brag about this church. I don't do it in a haughty way, but I love to brag about our congregation. 
there'll be new people that come and visit our congregation and I'll be talking with them out in the hallway and I'll be asking them if they're looking for a church home and, and if they're considering this one here. And I'll tell them, you know what, this is a great congregation. The people are happy. We're unified. I'm not saying we don't have a few little things going on here and there, rush fires that we have to put out, but we're a good congregation. We have, we have great elders that oversee this congregation. Um, we have great deacons who serve the congregation. We have a great teaching program. We have great teenagers. We have a lot of, so many positive things about the, the congregation. And I'll tell that to new members. I'll tell that to guys that are coming up here to preach for our lectureship. Or if I'm back in East Tennessee or down in Oklahoma or someplace like that, and they ask me about the church in, in Idaho, oftentimes they think that we're still fighting Indians out here, by the way. And, and they think that because they're in the South, we're out here and we're this little dinky congregation. When I tell them how large we are, they're always surprised at that. And then I tell them a little bit about you. And, and like I said, I, I kind of brag about you a little bit, about how great you are. Having said that, I want you to know you guys are not perfect. You're not perfect. If for no other reason that you have a preacher that is not perfect. I mean, I have so many areas to grow and to mature in, in, in my life. I'm constantly watching people and watching our elders so that they can be an example of their wisdom and, and self-control and things that I sometimes lack in my life. <clears throat> but I have room to grow, which tells me if I have room to grow, I know that you have room to grow as, as well. But we just need to understand that we're not everything w that we can be or should be, that there's always that room uh, that needs to be moved forward and in our maturity. Truly, we are a church on, on the mend. And that's a good thing, because as we grow up to the fullness of Christ, where each part does its work, it says that we are alive. A church that doesn't keep growing is a church that starts dying pretty quickly. So let me encourage you to grow. Let me encourage you to take advantage of the equippers that you have in your congregation to strengthen and to build you up. Let me encourage you to stay in the word of God because that's where faith comes from and that's how you're going to build your faith in Christ uh, Jesus. So may God bless you as you mend and as you get equipped and as you mature in your faith could be that there might be someone here this morning that is not a member of the Lord's church. You have not been added to the church by being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. We give you that opportunity this morning. Or if you are a Christian, and maybe you're going through some hard moments right now where you're struggling. Maybe you feel a little bit torn up, ripped up because of just the world in which you live. If you want the prayers of this congregation, we'll pray for you. No judgment on our part. We'll simply love you and pray for you. So the opportunity is offered to you now while we together we stand and sing this song.